Okay, so, so far, we've reviewed three classes. The first one was on loving and serving one another. And the second one was on fellowshipping and working with, with one another. And the third was praying for and caring for one another. And all of these classes have been building up to, they, they each build on top of another, right? The first class was setting the foundation that in order for us to serve one another, the foundation of that is the gospel. Understanding God's love for us is what motivates us to love and serve one another. The second class was looking at how we are God's holy building. God is building a, uh, we are his living stones that he's using to build uh, his house. And so we are part of that work that God is doing. And the emphasis there was that in order for us to be involved, we have to be present and make ourselves available to the work of the ministry. And Brother Sean last week talked about praying and caring for one another, going beyond the service level interactions to really understand how one another is doing and being able to be involved in their lives. Today, what I want to talk about is bearing one another's burdens. And if there's one word that I can use to sort of summarize what I'm going to talk about today is imitation. And what I mean by imitation is when we think about Christ, he is our example And all of us desire to be like Christ. All of us desire to grow in the image of God. And we cannot do that if we are not imitating Christ's example of bearing one another's burdens. So by the end of this message, I hope to show you from the scriptures why is it such importance to bear one another's burdens. But also, if you do have burdens, to allow others to bear that burden with you. Because it's blessings on both sides when we do that. And the verse that we're going to be focusing on primarily is Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I'll go ahead and read the passage. It's right here in the King James Version. I'll read it in the ESV for those who are using the ESV. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The context of this passage is obviously in the book of Galatians. And I know we all are familiar with the book, but I just wanted to spend just a few seconds to lay out the picture. Paul is writing to the Galatians. They were Jews that had been converted to Christianity. But there were a group of people that were coming in to seek to make them go back to the law, mainly the law of circumcision, the law of keeping holy days. And Paul did not mince any words when he talked about the condemnation that would come among, among, uh, upon anybody that would seek to take them away into another gospel. And he even said, even if an angel comes down to you with another gospel than what you have received, let that angel be accursed. And Paul goes through the rest of Galatians really laying out the difference between the finished work of Christ and the ineffectiveness of the law to bring about righteousness. And as he gets to the latter part of the letter, he tells them to walk in the spirit, to use the liberty that Christ has given you and to walk in the spirit, not using your liberty as a cloak for sin, but to not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And in Galatians 5 He lays out the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. And then when he gets to Galatians 6, 
This is where he talks about if anybody is caught in a transgression or a fault, you who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of meekness. A couple of points of observation we see in that passage is that, number one, the goal of any type of admonition to somebody that is caught in a transgression is restoration. That is the primary goal, is to restore that person back to the fold. The second thing we see that the person who is doing the admonition is called to have a spirit of meekness, a spirit of humility, uh, as they seek to restore that person. And it's really understanding that we too are prone to go the same way of that person. That's why it tells us to be on guard that we ourselves would not be tempted as we are seeking to restore that individual back to the fold. So it's restoring them, keeping watch over ourselves, and being humble and gentle in the way that we are doing that work. And then he goes on to say to bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He doesn't go into much detail here about the law of Christ, but we can extrapolate from other scriptures what he means by the law of Christ. And the scripture that comes to mind is Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, if you want to turn there. But I'll read it for you here. And this is what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, that I shall love thy neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So when he talks about fulfilling the law of Christ, it's, it's, it's essentially loving God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself which even Christ said is the summary of the entire law. So restoring somebody back to the fold is the greatest way that we can showcase the love of Christ to them is by being courageous enough to point out the flaws, but to do it in such a manner that is going to win the person back over and not expel them or uh, repel them from the fold. And then he talks about bearing one of those burdens. And this is where I want to take our study tonight. It's to look at the word burden. It's actually used 94 times in the King James Version and 69 times in the ESV. We're not going to read every single instance of the word being used. But what I want to do is to walk us through, uh, almost like doing an expose on, this, on, on, the, on the word burden, and there are a few questions that I want to answer tonight, and they are in your outline. The first one is, what is a burden? From a biblical standpoint, what is, it, what is a burden? Second is, where does the help come from when it talks about bearing one another's burden? Where, where does the help come from to be able to bear somebody's burden? What role do we play in the story as believers? And the last two is, what benefit is there for the one who is burdened? And the one who is helping to bear somebody else's burden. And lastly, some points of application. The main text, like I said, is Galatians 6. We're going to turn now to Exodus. And we're going to spend some time in Exodus. So if you want to turn there and just hold your finger in Exodus 1. And we'll be kind of going back and forth to some passages in Exodus. And what I want to do is show us in the scriptures that there are, from what I've seen, two broad categories of burdens in the scripture. Uh, there's one that is external, meaning an external source where the burden is coming from somebody else and being placed on the individual or a group. 
And the second type is an internal burden, primarily through sin. And we're going to look at the external burdens first. And there are like two categories of external burdens that we see in the scriptures. The first is we see the example of the Egyptians who placed burdens on the Israelites. And this, this talks about this in Exodus chapter 1, where it says, um, after Joseph had died, and then Pharaoh became, a new Pharaoh arose, he forgot, they didn't know about Joseph. And so they became envious of sort of the Jews, and they became fearful, thinking that if the enemies attacked them, the Jews were going to go over to their side. And so they decided the best course of action is let's put burdens on them, let's afflict them, let's put taskmasters and put them in slavery so that we can keep them in subjection. And in Exodus 1, verse 11, it says here, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, and they built for Pharaoh, store cities, Python, and Ramses. So this is the first example where we see hard labor being placed on an individual, on a group, in the scriptures. And then we also see examples of burdens that can be characterized as not necessarily manual labor, but almost like a a spiritual yoke of bondage that is being placed, again, from an external source to the individual. And we see this with the Pharisees and the scribes. And you don't need to turn to this passage. Um, It's in Matthew. But suffice to say, Jesus talked about how the Pharisees and the scribes were putting Burdens on the people that they themselves were unwilling to bear. So what they were doing is trying to get these people to follow additional laws, additional uh, rules that they themselves were not willing to keep. And it was for them a way to boast in those individuals. And Jesus condemned that. So this is wrong that you would put burdens on them that you yourself are not willing to keep. And he goes even further to talk about how they were, not, they were keeping people away from coming into the kingdom. And one last example here of this external burden from one individual to another is in the book of Acts. Right? We see in the book of Acts, for example, after the first uh, Christians were saved in Antioch, what happened? Well, there were a group of Jews that came down to Antioch, and they were telling the Gentiles, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Well, this is a burden that they're looking to add to the Gentiles. They're looking to put a yoke on them that the Gentiles were not going to be able to bear. And, um, and thank God that he gave the, the early uh, leaders in the church wisdom to be able to consult together in Jerusalem. And we know that they came down uh, in Acts 15, verse 28. They sent a letter to the church in Antioch and this is what they wrote. It said, It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. So while the Jews were seeking to add this additional burden on the Gentiles, the Paul, Peter, those guys They consulted with the church in Jerusalem, and they decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to add this spiritual yoke on them that they would not be able to bear. And all of this will tie together as we get into application, but it's good for us to lay this foundation now. 
So that's the first type of ex- external burden that we see. The second type of external burden is actually from God himself. But this type of burden is actually good for us. It's good for our sanctification and it's good for our usefulness to the body of Christ. And some examples of this we see, again, going back to the Old Testament, we know that the, when they were in the wilderness and God gave them the sanctuary, every time they would move from one camp to the next, there were different tasks to be done. And the Bible refers to these as burdens that were assigned to different groups of men. And these were primarily the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merorites. They were men selected above 30 years old, and their responsibility was to take the instruments from the sanctuary and carry them to the next tent, uh, sorry, to the next place of, of, of camp that they would establish the sanctuary there. And these burdens came directly from God, and it was part of them to be useful to the, the body, to be useful to the work of God while they were there. So these were good burdens that God had placed on them. And then we also see a burden placed on Moses. And this burden, again, from God, was the children of Israel. And in, in, Numbers, in Numbers 11... In Numbers 11, uh, Moses actually complained to God about this because yet once more the, the Israelites were complaining to Moses saying, we're about tired of this manna. You need to give us some meat. And Moses is looking at them like, what do you want me to do? So he goes to God as he all, often does and he complains. And Moses says something that is very interesting. And he says, the scripture says, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child? Where am I going to get me to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. So Moses is recognizing that, yes, it is the Lord who commissioned him, who put him in, in, um, in a position of responsibility over the children of Israel. And this was his burden. And, um, and again, it was one used to sanctify him. And it was one used because it was useful to the Israelites that Moses be the one to, to lead them because God has commissioned him for that. But nevertheless, we see Moses complaining about this burden that the Lord had placed on him. And um, we can talk about other types of burdens, right? Um, physical illness in the case of Paul receiving a thorn in his flesh or Job receiving uh, sickness and uh, his own trials and burdens that he received and, uh, and so forth. But suffice to say, we have external burdens from one person to another, and we have external burdens that come from the Lord himself for our sanctification and usefulness to the body. The second type of burden are internal. And, these, and this type of burden is in direct connection to our own sin. In Psalm 38, verse 4, this is what the psalmist writes. He says, 
My iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. So he's relaying his sins, and he's looking at them as this burden that he's not able to get rid of. And even in the New Testament, Paul talks about this body of, 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 of death that we have in our flesh and how we groan for our immortal bodies. And as long as we are in this body, we have to deal with the burden of sin. And, um, and it's one that is heavy for us. Thanks be to God that he has given us the victory over sin. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit later about you know, what happens when we are struggling with any type of sin and the means that God has given us to continue to fight the good fight of faith. So this is the first question. What is a burden? We talked about external and internal burdens. And um, on the external side, one coming from people, one coming from God himself for our sanctification and usefulness to the body, and then the burden of sin. The next thing we're going to look at is what does the help come from to deal with our burdens and to be able to help others with their burdens? And we're going to go back to Exodus, and I want to show you something that's very interesting. Uh, We looked at in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, how the Egyptians placed the burdens on the Israelites. And what's interesting is when Moses comes of age, twice he attempts to deliver the people. Once was before he met with God, and once was after he met with God in the burning bush. And in both instances, things don't go according to plan. Uh, at least not his plan. goes according to God's plan, but not his plan. Um, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to turn there, we see Moses, it says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Again, the same word, right? Burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a, Jew, uh, a Hebrew, one of his brethren, he looked this way and that way, and he saw that was no man, and he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses, seeking to take matters into his own hands, does what he feels is the best thing to do. Kill this Egyptian, and I'm wondering if Moses wondered at the time that, okay, these people are going to see that I'm their deliverer, they're going to follow me, and we're going to do this massive coup, and we're all going to come out of Egypt victorious, but that's not what happened. Suffice to say, he has to flee into exile um, a day later. And then Moses spends 40 years before God meets him at the burning bush, and God commissions him to go back to Egypt. And Moses, we're going to see after a lot of kicking and screaming, goes back to Egypt. And his first interaction with Pharaoh doesn't go that well. And we see this in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. If you want to flip over a couple of pages. Um, Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And after this interaction, 
instead of letting the people go, Moses, uh, Pharaoh adds more burdens to the people. He multiplies their work that they have to do. And um, one thing that I find that's very interesting is prior to this episode, three times Moses objected to going back to Pharaoh. And all of these are in Exodus chapter 4, if you want to check them out later. But the first objection is he tells God, the Israelites are not going to believe that you sent me. So God has to show him different things. Uh, he said, put your hand in your coat, bring it out. His hand turns leprous. He puts it back. It's all clean. And God is showing him these things so that he's able to do these signs to show that, yes, I have sent you. And then the second objection is I'm slow of speech. I can't speak properly. I'm not. I, I, I stutter, God. You cannot send me. So God says, all right, I'm going to send Aaron. He's going to come. He's going to be your mouth. And then Moses finally says, all right, you can send somebody else. I don't really want to go. And at this point, God is almost about ready to kill Moses because he's obsessed with him. And, um, and, Mo- and Aaron comes and Moses ends up going. But I bring this up to show you that leaving it up to man, it would have been impossible to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses in his own strength, Moses in his own uh, faculty would not have been able to do this. And this is a very big point that I want to emphasize because it's going to help us later as we apply all of this into how we bear one of those burdens. And then after the episode where Moses speaks to Pharaoh and Pharaoh disregards him and multiplies the people's uh, work, then God speaks And I'm just going to read the whole passage. It's two verses, Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. And what I want you to observe is when God speaks, seven times he declares that he is the one that is going to deliver the people out of Egypt. And this is what he says. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Wherefore, this is God speaking, say unto the children of Israel... I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of the bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Amen. So we see when we talk about who is the source of help to deal with our burdens? Whatever the burden is, ultimately it is God himself who delivers us and it is him who gives us the grace that we need to endure even those burdens that he places on us that are good for us. And, um, and that's a big point that I want to emphasize because it lays really the foundation for everything else that we talk about from here on out. And so... Understanding this now, that God is the source of help, what role do we play in this story? And going back to the Old Testament, we see that the Lord employs people and he empowers them with his Holy Spirit to be able to help and to bear one another's burdens. And there's a reason why I keep referring back to the Old Testament it's because, number one, I'm going through it right now in my own personal study. So it's been a lot of fun for me. 
But second thing is, I think a lot of times when we think about God and Christ, we, we, we see him primarily in the New Testament. We don't really take time to look at God's grace and mercy in the New Testament. And a lot of times people will say, well, the God of the Old Testament was the angry God. And the God of the New Testament is a nice God. And it's the one I like. But when we look at the entire scripture from Old to New Testament, we see God's grace and mercy and justice all throughout the Bible. And, and that's why I spend a lot of time just focusing on the Old Testament with these examples. So going back, right, remember I said earlier, Moses goes to God and he's complaining in Numbers 11 about how this, the, the burdens that God has placed on them, primarily the people, two million of them, it's too heavy for him. He said, Lord, I can't do this. I cannot bear the burden of this people alone. And God in his mercy and his grace, what does he do? Well, we're going to look at that. If you turn to Numbers 11, verses 16 and 17, we're going to see what God does to help Moses bear the burden of his people. And it's the same thing he does for us today. In Numbers 11, verses 16 and 17, it says here, The Lord said to Moses, and this is after Moses is done complaining to God about how the burdens are too heavy. He says, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, this is the sanctuary, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So we see here in the Old Testament, God is taking his Holy Spirit. And the Lord was not, it's not like today. We are privileged to have the Holy Spirit with us 24-7. Back then, God kind of gave it out in portion. And so he's saying here, I'm going to take the Holy Spirit, part of the Spirit that I've given you, Moses... I'm going to place it on these 70 men and they are going to bear this burden with you so that you don't have to do it alone by yourself. And what we see here is the Lord provides the means and he also provides the equipping that they need to be able to bear this burden with Moses. And it's the same thing that God does today. All of us here who believe in Christ we have been given the Holy Spirit. And we are, we are a church. We have our elders. And they cannot bear the burden by themselves. And, you know, I'm sure they don't complain the way Moses does <laughs> to God about us. But they, don't, they cannot bear the burden by themselves. And, um, but the Lord provides us. We are essentially those 70 men. We are they that have been given the Holy Spirit of God, that we can help to bear the burden with these leaders that God has placed over us. And we use our, our gifts, we use our talents in order to bear this burden with them so that together we can all make it to the promised land. And that they're, So in this example, right, the 70 men, they're not spectators in this story. 
They are active participants whom God have equipped to bear this burden with Moses. And if we look at the life of Paul, right, I kind of did a quick survey of his letters, and you see he mentions people like Timothy, Titus, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, Phoebe, Tychicus, Luke, Peter, so many others that Paul mentioned who were there to help carry the burden with him. Paul wasn't by himself doing this work. All these people were there with him, and, and it's a similar thing for us. So after having laid this foundation, and again, I know it took a little bit of a time, but it was important to lay this foundation to see that, number one, there are different types of burdens in the scriptures. And so when we are dealing with somebody's burden, we need to know what type of burden that we're dealing with. Is it a burden of sin? Is it a burden that God has placed on them in, a, in, a, in the uh, example of like a thorn in the flesh? Is it a burden that they're dealing with where maybe in a third party, maybe at work, somebody's placing uh, difficulties on them that they cannot bear? Right? We have to be able to discern the type of burden they're dealing with to know how to serve them and how to help them with that burden. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and we're going to look at that in a minute. So that's why I set the, that foundation for us here. So now, let's turn now to the practical applications of this. And in the first three classes, we spent a lot of time giving a lot of uh, direction, a lot of admonition to the person who's, I would call, the actor, right? When we say pray and serve one another, we're talking to the person that we're saying, hey, you should pray for people. You should serve people. Um, But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the one who's being served and the one who's being prayed for. So what I want to do now is focus first, when we talk about bearing one another's burden, I want to focus first on the one who has a burden. If you hear you have a burden, um, I have first three benefits that I want to share with you of why it's important to allow people to come alongside you to bear that burden with you. Because I think... A lot of times it's very easy for us when we're suffering to hide ourselves and to draw away from people because it's tough to be vulnerable. But we actually do ourselves a disservice when we do that. And uh, so I just want to share some benefits for why it's important to allow people to come and bear that burden with you. The first is the first benefit is that you get to receive comfort from the Lord through his people. As we see in Corinthians, it talks about the comfort that we have been comforted. With that same comfort, we are able to comfort others. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. I can guarantee you, somebody may not have experienced that exact same issue, but the Lord has comforted them in some type of way that they are then able to comfort you as well. So allow yourself to receive that comfort from God through his people. The second thing is you get to be sanctified by the encouragement that you receive from God's people who have overcome the same struggles that you are dealing with. So to give you an example, let's say you're dealing with an issue of sin. I think about the passage in Corinthians where Paul says, these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, Um, I forget the other sins that he lists, but he lists a number of sins there. But then he goes on to say, and 
these were some of you, but you have been washed. And I can almost picture the people hearing that letter and saying, yep, that's me, the former homosexual. Yep, that's me, the former adulterer. And they understand that, and they hear what Paul is saying. So if somebody comes in the congregation who is struggling with the sin of you know, idolatry, who's struggling with the sin of you fill in the blank, there will have been people in the church there who have overcome that sin, who have been washed by God, who are able to encourage those people that, hey, you too can overcome this sin. You too can be washed the way I have been washed from this sin. And so by being, and I'm not saying you take a blowhorn and say, hey, everybody, I'm struggling with, beep, right? But finding people that you can trust, finding people that, you know, you know will be there for you to help you with these struggles that you are having, I think is a very important thing. And lastly, you get to grow your faith as God uses his people to answer your prayers. And what I mean by that is another example. Let's say you're praying for wisdom, right, about a situation at work. And a lot of times, you know, we may pray for wisdom and we're almost waiting for God to drop wisdom from the sky and into our brains. But the way God works is by using his body and we are his body. Right. And so allowing folks to come and help you with that burden, you may find that there are people who have dealt with the situation who can actually impart wisdom to you to deal with the very thing that you've been struggling with at work or whatever it may be. So those three benefits I wanted to highlight in the beginning. And now here are two points of advice that I have for those who have a burden and two points of advice for how to deal with that. The first one, if the burden is external, so you're dealing with a burden, it's not a sin situation. It might be a burden that the Lord has placed on you in a, in, in a case of a thorn in the flesh for Paul. Um, or another type of burden you're dealing with, a situation at work or family members, the first thing I would say is don't suffer in silence. Uh, You think about Paul in prison. There are four letters that Paul wrote when he was in prison. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And in all four of those letters, guess what he does? He says, hey, I'm in prison. I'm in bonds. And I think Paul did that for a reason because, number one, he wants the people to know how to pray for him. Um, that he is in prison, he needs prayer that the Lord would keep him. And number two, he wants to use that to encourage them that, hey, you stay bold and, and strong in the Lord as I have been doing. So follow my example. So don't suffer in silence. Let God use the means that he has given you to, um, to deal with that situation. The second thing I think about is uh, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul, writing to Timothy, he says something interesting. He says here in um, verse 3 of 2 Timothy 1, he says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So here is Timothy and Paul is remembering his tears. And I'm thinking, how does Paul know that Timothy is struggling like this and crying? And that's because at some point, Timothy shared that with Paul, shared his struggles with him. 
in the ministry. And, um, and he allowed Paul to minister to him, to encourage him. And, um, and Paul is recording this for us in this letter. Now, what if the burden... So that's the first part. Burden is external. It's not a sin situation. Don't suffer in silence. Allow people to bear that with you. What if the burden is sin? If the burden is sin, the first thing is to let the light shine on it. Um, Again, the temptation when we are dealing with any sin situation is to hide away. That's what Adam and Eve did. After they disobeyed God, they went hiding away from his presence. And God literally had to come and call out to them to find out where they were. Um, And it's the same temptation that we have is to hide. But, brethren, that is the worst thing that we can do. Uh, And I'm going to show you that in the the scriptures in a minute. But I would say, let the light shine on it. And um, the scripture says in James 5, to confess your sins one to another and to pray for one another that you may be healed. And it goes on to say, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And um, there's a passage in Psalm 32 that it's a great passage, um, and you all are familiar with it because it's, it goes like this. It says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts not iniquity. This is Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts not iniquity. And we love this first part of the passage, and it's a great part of the passage, and it's what we all celebrate in the gospel. But then the second part of the verse says this. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. In the King James it says, there is no guile. And then in verse 3, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And I believe the reason the psalmist recorded this for us in the psalm, we're after saying there's a, uh, there's a blessing for the man against whom God's laid no iniquity, and he goes on to say, in whose spirit there is no deceit. He wants to remind us that part of the blessing of having your sins washed away is actually being transparent about that sin itself and not allowing deceitfulness and guileness to cause you to hide that sin, especially from God, because he already knows our heart. He can see all things. Um, but that we would be the type of people that we are um, quick to uh, admit when we have sinned, when we have wronged. And again, I'm not saying you take a blow horn and announce it to the church, but again, finding uh, brothers and sisters within the congregation that can pray with you on these things, that you would confess those things first to God and also, as James says, to one another, and, um, and that you would not allow the deceitfulness of sin to cause uh, coldness of heart to creep in to your life. And, and so bearing that burden of sin is important in that light to just confess it and allow the gospel to cleanse you. So that's the admonition to the one who has a burden. Now, what about to the one who is helping to bear that burden? As we wrap up here, I also have three points of benefits and then two points of advice to the one who is helping to bear the burden of somebody else. And as I said earlier, the one where we can use to summarize this whole message is imitation. 
And as you bear somebody's burden, the first thing you'll find is you get to experience the joy of pointing others to Christ. I think about the passage where in Hebrews it says, For the joy set before him, talking about Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So we, being God's people, will literally get to be God's hands and feet as we help to bear one another's burden. And Christ had to lay aside all of his glory to come down and bear our sins. And we get to experience that joy of, you know, the, the, that type of joy he experienced having to bear our sins. We get to experience probably a portion of that um, when we get to bear somebody else's burden and point them to Christ, especially as we see that they are able to grow in the faith, that through our uh, encouragement, through our counseling, through our bearing with them, that we see these people growing in the faith. What a joy it is. And it's like when John says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. So when we actually lay aside our own priorities and we set one another as a priority, we get to experience immense joy that this world can definitely not give. And the second thing is you get to grow in the image of Christ, right? Because if we're going to be like Christ, we have to imitate him. And there's no better way to imitate Christ than to actually bear one another's burden because that's what he did for us on the cross. He bore our burdens. He forgave us. He did not think about himself. He was willing to be despised and shamed. And, uh, and as we do that for others, we get to be like Christ. And it's not saying it's going to be easy, uh, you know, for, for, those who, um, for those who have dealt with sick family members, for those who have consulted and cried with somebody who lost a loved one, for those who have dealt with any type of uh, loss, right? You know how hard it is to sit alongside somebody and try to find the right words to encourage them and to be there for them. It's not always easy, and, um, but it is worth it because that's how we grow to be in the image of Christ. And lastly, you get to increase your faith as well. Because as you see God imparting to you wisdom to help somebody else, wisdom that you know did not come from you, but you know this is wisdom that came from God to give me the right words to encourage this person, to be there for this person, um, to exhort and rebuke this person, uh, you recognize that this is not from you, it's from God. And that will increase and boost your faith uh, to rely on God all the more. So two points of advice with that said is, again, if the burden is, is external, right? So if somebody is dealing with a burden, it's not a sin situation. It's a, a, a thorn in the flesh, for example, or another burden that they're living with. Uh, that's not a sin issue on their part. The one thing I would say is do not add to that burden, right? Um, we think about, for example... Job and his friends. We know the story. We know how it started. Job did not sin. That's not why his family died. That's not why he got sick. God was actually boasting about how righteous Job was and saying, like, oh, yeah, okay. Do this and this and that, and he'll curse it to your face. But his friends came 
And they were essentially just heaping on insult to injury of what Job was dealing with by bearing false witness, by lying, by, by actually accusing him of things that he had not done. And one thing I can think about is, and I can see why you know, our elders get very passionate when they talk about the Word of Faith movement, is because that's exactly what you see happening sometimes in a Word of Faith movement where somebody's sick, and it's like, okay, you are sick and you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. That's adding to the burden that somebody's dealing with because we don't know that, right? It could be a burden that they have received from the Lord, a thorn in the flesh, so that God's grace will be magnified through them, and God is using that for a specific purpose. So instead of encouraging them, to keep the faith, to rest on God's grace, we are adding to that. They're adding to that by saying nonsense as, if only you had more faith, you would be healed from your wheelchair and so on and so forth. So that's what I mean by not adding to that burden, uh, but really understanding um, where the situation is coming from. And so in those instances, again, if it's not a sin situation, it's reminding them of God's grace, reminding them of the work that the Lord is seeking to do in their lives through this situation, praying that the Lord would give them wisdom to deal with this situation wisely, and, um, and that they would be encouraged to know that as they return not evil for evil, as they're dealing with you know, family members that are you know, hurting them or whatever, that as they learn to be like Christ, not return evil for evil, not return mocking for mocking, um, if it's a, a, a thorn in the flesh, that they will rely on God's grace. And maybe God may have a desire to heal them, and we can pray for that as well, but not to assume that the primary reason that they're going through this is because they have sinned, um, which is why I said earlier that not every burden is the same. Now, if it is a sin situation, we do have to deal with it. Um, and in this regard, I would say don't subtract from it, but in meekness, admonish and correct the person if the burden is a sin situation. And this is very difficult for a lot of us because naturally we don't like conflict. And I don't like conflict. And, um, but the Bible doesn't give us an excuse for why we do not confront somebody in the body who is sinning against the Lord. And... Um, and one thing I was thinking about in preparing this section is we all have received very harsh rebuke from people and we did not get upset. Can we all agree? That there have been times where somebody rebuked you about something or admonished you or corrected you, but you received it well. And when we think about why did I receive that well, but I did not receive this rebuke or this uh, correction well. And I think it really comes down to we receive the rebuke well when we trust and we know that this person has my best interest in mind. Right? Um, we think about you know, a loving grandmother. Right? Uh, the, your grandmother tells you something, they're going to say it and they're not going to mince words. And somebody else says it, you probably get offended. But because your loving grandma says it, right, you know it's coming from a good place. You know they love you. And you're very quick to obey the words that they're sharing with you. And so when we think about how we are to exhort people, 
I want us to keep in mind that the same way we receive rebuke from those that we know love us, that we would seek to rebuke people with the same love. And what I mean by that is literally reminding them that I love you. Brother, I'm going to share this with you. Before I do, I want you to know that I love you. I care about you. I want to see you restored back to the faith. And that's why I want to talk about this, this, and this that I see in your life. Well, same thing, sister. I want to share this with you. I love you. I want to see you restored back to the faith. Like reminding them that you love them, that you care about them, and that it wouldn't just be, hey, here's what I noticed in your life, or let me write an email, let me write a you know, text message, but actually taking that time to remind those that we are seeking to restore back to the fold that we have love for them. And this is what Christ does for us. He rebukes us, but he doesn't embarrass us. He rebukes us, but he doesn't put us to shame. And it's the same thing that we are to imitate him, that we will rebuke people, not embarrass them, not put them to shame, but that we will do it out of love and reminding them that we love them. And, uh, and the Bible gives us examples of that. You think about Paul rebuking Peter when Peter came down to Antioch. And what did Paul say? Peter came down and said, I rebuked him to his face. It's like, whoa. And, um, but Paul, Peter, writing in, I believe, Second Peter, he commends Paul in his writing and encourages him, hey, read what Paul wrote. He writes some things that are hard to understand, but these things are good for you. And, uh, and as you read the book of Galatians, in the beginning of the book of Galatians, after Paul gets saved, he spends three years kind of ministering. He goes to Jerusalem. Who's the first person he sees in Jerusalem after three years of being saved? Peter. He spends 15 days with Peter and doesn't even get to see most of the other apostles. So Paul had developed that type of relationship with Peter that he can rebuke him to his face and he knows that Peter is going to receive it and he deserves receiving it like that, right? And um, so again, I'm not saying we go and rebuke people to their face like that, but it's understanding who you're dealing with and there are times you can be very strong with somebody and you have that relationship with them already and there are times you have to be a little bit more, you know, um, tempered and meek and gentle in that because you don't have that type of um, relationship yet. But at the end of the day, it still remains the same. We don't have an option to not deal and confront sin in the body. So as we conclude, I just wanted to conclude by saying that we've seen tonight that there are different types of burdens, that God is ultimately the one who provides the means uh, for us to deal not only with our burdens, but he gives us wisdom to deal with one another's burdens. So when he says bear one another's burdens, he's provided us what we need to actually do that. We have his word to help us grow in the knowledge of him. We have prayer. uh, And as um, uh, Johnny talked about on Sunday, right, prayer to uh, commune with God, get to know Him more, grow in our faith. And He provides with the body. And I just want to finish with this final point. If you look at Moses' life, we all can say Moses is a type of Christ. Moses, the Bible calls him meek. I think at one point calls him the most meek person 
um, at the time. And, but when you think about Moses, how did Moses learn to um, grow in such deep, intimate knowledge of God? And you look at it and you see that Moses had 40 years of dealing with the Israelites, dealing with their complaining, dealing with this, dealing with that. And Moses, in many instances, is the one falling on his face before God, praying for the same people that he was just complaining about, their burdens being too heavy. Moses is on his face praying and asking God to please do not strike them down. And Moses had this love for the Israelites. And um, so in one hand, he can be like, oh, my goodness, I'm tired of you people. <laughs> but in another hand, he can be on his face praying that, Lord, please do not strike them down. They deserve it, but please don't strike them down. And we see that type of Christ in Moses who does the same thing for us. He came down and died for us. And even today, he intercedes on our behalf every day. And so as we seek to grow in the image of God, as we seek to grow in the likeness of Christ, um, I would just encourage all of us to really make it a priority to learn to put aside our priorities and, and bear one another's burden. It's not easy. And um, you know, for those who are married, really like your spouse is like that first battleground, if you will. Your children, for those who have children, and then extending out to the body of Christ and, and setting that, exercising that muscle. And you will find, just like Moses, that you will grow not only in the likeness of God, but grow to have so much joy. And, um, and I can think about Paul, like how happy he was just to know, oh my goodness, the Colossians or the Ephesians, they're keeping the faith. You know, Timothy comes back with a good report and he's so happy that they have kept the faith, that they are not walking away from Christ. And that's the type of joy that we get to experience when we make it a priority to bear one another's burdens.